You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I tell you what, I'm definitely thankful that it's warmer in here than it is outside. Uh, so we are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you'll turn there. And we are just about over, or just about through the real church Sunday school lessons. Um, we've got this one and then two more after this, uh, depending on how many weeks it takes for each lesson. It might, um, it might take a little bit longer than three weeks, but... Uh, we'll see how it goes. So real labor is what we're looking at today. I know you didn't come here to learn how to work, but uh, we're looking at real, real labor today. So our lesson goals, and there are a couple slides for this if he wants to uh, follow along. Uh, let me get my scrolling here. All right, so real or our, our lesson goals for real labor today, uh, Nathan, is um, what we'll know at the end of this, at, at the conclusion of this lesson we should all, number one, recognize the role of every Christian to be a servant for Christ. So our first goal is to recognize the role of every Christian as a servant of Christ. The second point is to understand the connection in witness between the gospel message and a pure testimony. There we go. So understand the connection in witness between the gospel message and a pure testimony. And number three is to commit to fully engage as a church, as directed by the Holy Spirit in ministry through our church. This is an opportunity as a body to serve in the ministry that God calls us to. And every single one of us has a different ministry that God calls us to. We'll look at what that word ministry means a little bit later. Uh, We're going to be looking at some spiritual gifts as well today, and um, on Wednesday, we discussed a little bit about uh, a direction that we're heading with our ministries in this church and looking at our spiritual gifts, and and when we get to it, I do have a whole stack of packets again, if you didn't have one of those on Wednesday night. Um, It's just a questionnaire, and and I'll briefly go through that at a certain point today, but it just goes through a bunch of questions to figure out on a rough idea what your actual spiritual gifts are, what ministry you would fit in, um, you know, and you could have three. You could have, you could be equal across the board, and God's definitely blessed you more than some. <laughs> but uh, there are going to be some areas where you're, you're not quite as good at. You wish that you could serve in, but um, you're just not, that's just not what you're meant to do, and, and God had a different gift for you. Um, some people are great at teaching. Some people are great behind the scenes running the show, uh, making all the, the bells and whistles work in our church, and some people are great with kids, and, and some people are great at praying for people. That's a gift. To pray is a gift. That, that is loving people. That is serving people. Um, so if there's anything a real church requires, it's real labor. It, it is not just a few people in the church that run the show. It is the entire body that makes this church body work. Uh, the heart of the church, or of the body, is necessary just as much as the lungs, just as much as the liver, just as much as the eyes, the mouth, the taste buds. I mean, every single part of our body was engineered by God beautifully to work together to make us who we are as a person. So it's the same with the church. It's a requirement that every single one of us partake and do what we were, we were designed to do. Um, it's a real labor, a genuine, wholehearted work. As you read through the book of Acts and the epistles of the New Testament, it's easy to see the labor that the apostles and church leaders invested into spreading the gospel and planting churches. First Thessalonians 2, 9 says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Paul's willingness to pour himself literally pouring his every ounce of his, himself into the work of the Lord bears testimony to how worthy the Lord is of our labor in a local church. We look at Paul as, a, as an example of one of the best ministers. Best, he, he even called himself, I am a minister 
uh, best servants of the Lord or, or uh, teachers, preachers of the gospel was because he poured everything he had to invest himself into what God called him to do. It is also evidence that the local church requires the labor of God's people if the church will accomplish its purpose of spreading the gospel. Labor for the Lord is not reserved for the church planter, the pastor, or church staff. Currently, if you were to look at what we actually have here, we only have three on staff. <laughs> if there was only three people doing the work in this church, we would not be thriving. We would not be as, as, as moving forward or as successful, I would say, not in the world's sight, but in God's sight, as we are, because we have a loving nature here. We have a servant attitude here, and that's something we want to continue to cultivate. For those that are new to the church, we want to, through our testimony, show them what it means to be a part of this church and to serve and to love and, and to grow one another. It's for every single member of this church that the work is for. It, serving the Lord is a great privilege. It's not, oh man, I got to go and I got to do this today. No, it's a privilege to get to be a part of this church. Uh, not, not Elk Point Baptist Church, but God's church. It's a privilege to be a part of God's body. Uh, serving the Lord is a great privilege. No matter how insignificant our area of service may seem, God sees and will reward our work for him. Hebrews 6.10 uh, backs this up. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God will not forget everything you do. Now, there's a flip side to that. That's good and bad. <laughs> the good and the bad that you do, how much you invested in his, his ministry, his kingdom, his, his work that he had for you, he remembers all of it. And it's a tremendous opportunity to serve the Lord, and sometimes we get our values confused. Sometimes we lose focus on why we're actually doing it, and we start to have a bad attitude. We may enter an area of ministry of service in the church with excitement and enthusiasm and we're ready to, to push forward. We're grateful for the opportunity, but sometimes, given time, our focus shifts and our enthusiasm starts to diminish. We start to regret coming. We start to not look forward to having a conversation with somebody else that we're working with maybe, and, and there's just a division that begins building up or a misunderstanding that we're not willing to address, and, and it's just, it just becomes now a labor that we're not looking forward to. That labor is great. Labor is an opportunity. Labor is something we can be excited for, knowing we have a work to do, but it can be an exhausting, stressful labor sometimes. And, and that, I think, is just our, our perspective. When we're putting our mind on what God has called us to do, realizing that we are serving a great king and, and somebody that died for us, then it's worth it every ounce of our labor. What we once saw as a privilege, we now see as a burden sometimes, and whether you have been serving the Lord in the local church for many years, or you're a new Christian just entering into an area of service, it's vital vital that you recognize the honor it is to be involved in the real church. It's vital to recognize the honor that it is to be a part of God's kingdom and his service. Psalm 84.10 says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be opening that door outside than to be on the streets in drugs and alcohol or bitter somewhere and angry with my family and, and separated from the church. I'd rather be a, a door opener. I'd rather mop the floors in my church than to be out there doing these things. People may work in a vocation that appeals to their interest uh, and sense of pro productivity and conclude their vocational work as a prestigious and exciting position. It elevates who they are in their minds, but the same people may see service as, as, at church as a boring thing or beneath their rank. I'm too good to do that job. I'm too good to clean a toilet. I'm too good to, to scrub the windows once a year. For example, a security officer maybe may find his ego stroked in providing security for a stage uh, or a state dignitary, but think of helping in the teen department or being an usher or going soul winning as being beneath him. He would rather do something higher in the, in the eyes of the world than to, to do something simple for a church. 
In reality, though, the greatest and most eternal work that we can do is what we do in the service of the Lord. The only thing that really matters, that holds value at all, is what we do for his kingdom. Everything we do here is, is temporary. Obviously, God has us in a position, in a workspace, in, in an environment. He put us somewhere on purpose. He had a plan for it, yes, to further his kingdom. But in reality, what I do, for instance, in my corporate job on a day-to-day basis really has no positive influence on the kingdom of God. But what I do here right now, standing here before you, getting a chance to teach is worth everything for me. I'd rather spend my waking hours at 6 in the morning this morning instead of sleeping until 7.30, getting out at uh, 7.45. You know, I'd rather spend early morning studying than not have the opportunity to teach. I'd rather do this than my corporate job. I'd rather be here. I'd rather pray for you guys than than be on video games. I'd rather spend time finding a way to further God's kingdom than all the things that I do on a daily basis. Now, I'm thankful for those things. I know God has a purpose for me in my job right now, and, and it provides for my family, and I'm thankful for that. And, and I take all the, the hardships of that labor, knowing that that's what God wants me to do, and I, I take it one step at a time. But to serve the Lord and to serve in, in any capacity in our local body is huge. That The kingdom mindset there is important. It's a privilege to serve the Lord and serving his people. Yes, every single one of us in here is his people. So, so to have the opportunity to serve one another is to serve God's people. Helping in the nursery, driving to pick up children for a church, preparing Sunday school lessons, visiting widows, cleaning a classroom, all of these are Uh, are areas of opportunity and of privilege. It may seem small. Well, all I do is is pick this one guy up and bring him to church. Well, that could have an innumerable impact, one that you can't possibly measure. You have no idea what purpose God had for that one thing, but that's important. Real labor for the Lord includes the mundane as well as the glamorous. It includes the thankless jobs as well as the praised positions. It requires a heart of love for the Lord and a passion for his church. Local church ministry cannot take place without local church labor. In this lesson, we will see three responsibilities of a Christian servant who is committed to real labor. So I want to take a moment and pray, and then we'll get into those three points. Lord, I'm... I'm Eternally grateful for the fact that I get to be a part of your service, Lord. Um, Lord, I've been in the military. I, you know, I, I've been in different positions, but nothing compares to being in, in your service, Lord. And I pray that whatever it is I do, Lord, that I do it humbly and I do it out of reverence of you. And I, I recognize the honor that it is, Lord. And I pray as a body that we learn to recognize how great it is to be in your kingdom to be in your service, to be in your family, Lord, and help us to have a heart that's willing to serve one another, to serve the people that are in need, and to have an attitude towards one another that is out of love and out of just an, an, an understanding, Lord, that, you know, if we're, if we're hurting, if we're, if we're struggling to understand one another, Lord, that we have a heart of, 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 or a desire, Lord, to seek out the truth in that situation and to find a way to serve no matter what, to pour ourselves out like Paul did wholeheartedly and 100%, even unto death, Lord, if that's what it requires, in order to further your kingdom. Help us to have a kingdom mindset, Lord, and a love for you that goes beyond anything, Lord. And we are so grateful and thankful to be here today, and I pray that you work through me in a mighty way to teach this lesson. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first responsibility that we have is to, number one, recognize your role. You have to recognize your role. If you don't know what ministry to be in or how you can serve in this church, well, I, I can just about guarantee that if you were to ask anybody, hey, how can I help today, there's something that can be done. <laughs> there's always something that can be done. I don't ever feel like I, I do enough. I'm running around sometimes with my, like a chicken with his head cut off trying to get everything done that I can. Um, but any time you, ha- you, you see somebody run around or, or, or it seems like there's a lot going on, ask somebody, hey, well, how can I help this morning? Um, but it goes beyond that. How else can you help? What ministries can you get into? And, and um, 
you know, as, as the church leadership, we are working really hard to, to look at the ministries in this church and to develop a, a system where we can, from every, whatever point we're at on, on our walk and within the church, to find a way that we can step into to the work, to find a way we can minister, to serve in this church, and um, to cultivate and grow and educate on how we can better serve. We want to be servants for the Lord. Every Christian is to labor for the Lord. Paul began this passage on labor in the local church with a reminder that it's a role entrusted to us by God. We see in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, uh, where we're at in, in, in our key verses today, he said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have a real, a real responsibility to recognize our role. And letter A, it all began at salvation. Notice the first word in 2 Corinthians 4.1. He said, therefore. This word tells us that what was previously mentioned is our ministry. In, cha- in the chapter preceding this, if you go back a page or two, Paul described that we as Christians are entrusted as ministers with a particular message. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. The message of the New Covenant, the New Testament, is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that made salvation possible for all people. This is our ministry, to share the gospel with others and to be a part of serving in a local church that is fulfilling this mission. If we are responsible, if we're commissioned to go preach and teach the gospel, to spread the gospel, then it's our responsibility to be a part of serving in a local church to fulfill that mission. The word, in, or the word for ministry in, in chapter 4, verse 1, is the root word from which we get the word deacon. Now, that is a trigger word in a church at any point. Uh, the word deacon or elder, um, those, ha- I think, in, in today's age have mis- been misunderstood. But if you look biblically at the word deacon, it means a table waiter or servant. Every single one of us, in some form, is a deacon in this church. We are servants. We are willing to wipe a table down after potluck. We are willing to serve a dish. We are willing to open a door for somebody. We are willing to pray for one another. We are willing to help in the back. We are willing to click a few buttons on a computer. We are willing to sing a song. Every single one of us in all those positions is a deacon. Because we're naturally, uh, well, because it indicates that we are to be a servant-hearted, or we are to be servant-hearted in looking for and meeting the needs of others, as a minister, to be a minister, to be a deacon, we have to be servant-hearted, deacon-hearted, ministry-hearted, to meet the needs of others. How many of you in, in any capacity in this church has felt like what you do is too much at some point? What you invest is a lot of your time. Have you ever felt that? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but that's an opportunity for, for you to minister to me because I guarantee on any level, let's, just, let's just, just say it's just in your work or in your home, there are times where what you do, how much you pour into your family is so much that you just cannot give another ounce of yourself. How much would it be helpful in that situation if somebody came and say, how can I help? You know, is there something I can do to lighten your load? Taking that, a little bit of that weight off your shoulder makes a huge difference. And that applies in the church as well. We should have a, a, a vision or, a, or, or in our eyes, we should, and, and I've prayed this many times, Lord, help me to see people the way you see them. Help me, Lord, to see the need of someone else so I have an opportunity to serve them in a way that maybe I wouldn't have seen before. The Lord knows our needs. We pray sometimes for unspoken prayers. Well, that's a burden that we're dealing with, and the Lord can see that need. He knows what we need, and sometimes, even if we didn't ask for it, he'll bring somebody alongside us to provide, to serve, to minister to us, to bring us back to life a little bit. Um, 
Because we're naturally selfish, we're prone to want to be served. That's an attitude check. We're prone to want to be served rather than to serve somebody. So you hear a message like this or, or a lesson like this, and you're like, man, you're sitting there. I, you know, I really hope somebody comes up to me today and asks how they can help me. Well, we should have the outward attitude. Not how can I be served, but how can I serve someone else? It goes in, it, that goes for marriage, too. I've seen a lot of, I'll just speak from, from my own experience and, and a few marriages I've, I've been involved in is, is when we look at our hurts and our needs and our things that we try to cover ourselves to take care of on our own, then we're angry at our spouse or you know, we, we, reg- we resent them not stepping in and fulfilling that need and then we keep providing it for ourselves, and then we're miserable Instead of looking outward and saying, what does she need? What do they need? What does my husband need in this situation? How can, I, how can I get out of myself and serve them to love them with all I have? Because what ends up happening is they end up becoming a mirror of that, and now they find a reason to serve us. Like, it's, it's interesting. It seems counterintuitive. The world right now says, me, 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 but we need to be them, them, them. And then for some reason... <laughs> it's obviously the way God designed it. When we choose to serve others, then all of a sudden our needs are met before we realize it. We need to be other mindset and not self-centered. We are prone to do that. Even Christ himself saw his chief purpose as serving. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man, I I look at that word even, and it's like, yeah, really, this is (laughs) for, you know, God. Yes, even God, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He, did, he poured himself out in ways that we can't possibly match, but we should definitely be eager to try to match that, that level of, 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 of other-centeredness. From the moment of our salvation, God had ministry already waiting for us, ministry that he knew would perfectly fit us as individuals. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, which was a form of service, by the way, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, he has a plan for us. And if you miss the part, it's, it's not the works, it's not the service that that saved us it was through it, it was through the grace of God that we're saved through faith it was not ourselves it was the gift of God that that way we can't boast about our service look how much I'm serving these people but because of what he did for us it should produce a servant attitude each of us are given ministry opportunities and we are all supernaturally gifted with abilities by the Holy Spirit so that we, we could be equipped to serve. First Peter 4.10, and this is one of, one of the verses you'll see in this little quiz here, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Because we've all received the gift from God, we should minister the same to one another. We should be willing to do the exact, to the same level, to die for one another, to serve them with all of our being for their sake rather than ours. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 deal specifically with spiritual gifts and, in, and their distribution, how, how they're spread out. You can look at these chapters for a lot more detail on spiritual gifts. Um. And some of that is actually in here. It, we've got, uh, so 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 24, a list of, of, of gifts, and uh, 1 Peter 4, 10, and then another section, Romans 12, 6 through 8. So those are all highlighted in, in, in here if you want to read that content. Um, and afterwards, if, if you want to have a better idea on what your spiritual gift is, fill this out, add up the totals at the bottom, um, Maybe save a copy, take a picture for yourself. Uh, I, I, I mean, we could all keep them ourselves and find a way to, to step into ministry, but um, if you don't mind, I would honestly like to have them all back at some point. 
Um, that way we can start looking at the different people we have in the church and how they can serve. Um, and it just gives us an idea of, of, you know, we look at our, the needs that we have here, we can be like, well, they're really gifted in this area and I'm struggling. You know, that's an opportunity for us to ask, hey, would you be willing to help in this area? And now you have an opportunity to jump in. Um, so at the moment of our salvation, the Lord, he gave us specific gifts and abilities and he wants us to steward these for him. Um, so there, on this list, there's actually six different gifts. There's more than that, but on, on here, they combine a couple of them. One is helps, and so helps is ministry, it's service, a desire to serve and help God's people, which should be all of our hearts, but some of us are better at it than others. Um, the next one is teaching, it's the ability to teach God's truth, helping people understand how his word applies to them. For some of us, that would be the, the very last thing we'd want to do. Um, for me, that was where I was at, but I'm sure if I had taken the test and, and answered the questions honestly, I would have discovered before I surrendered to preach that actually was an area that I, I was gifted in uh, as much as I would have been afraid to do it. Exhortation or encouragement, the ability to desire to encourage others in the Christian life. Some of us are just naturally gifted at lifting people up. We, we see somebody in hurt or see somebody's need, and we step in and we try to encourage them, to push them forward, to lift them up a little bit. Uh, another one is giving, the ability and desire to give to God's work and people. Um, ruling or administration. Some people, <laughs> that is not our gift, and some people it is. It's the ability to lead and administrate parts of God's work. So the behind-the-scenes stuff. The, the technical part of, of the business aspect of the church. Um, mercy, the ability to feel the pain of others and help them during trials. These are the prayers. These are the people that go and, and bring food. These are the people that, that just, they, they see and feel the pain more than some people would in the church. And, and they can step in and, and provide for that. Find a way to, to serve that person because of that. So all of these are, are great parts of the body and and i'm hoping that we can get a lot of feedback off of this and if you have more questions it's great teaching that we can do through this um dl moody said and i have the quote on the on a slide as well he said a good many are kept out of the service of christ deprived of the luxury of working for god because they are trying to do some great thing let us be willing to do these to do the little things, let us remember that nothing is small in which God is the true source. So if it is from God, then nothing is small. Every saint is to be a servant and every member is to be a minister. Our role as laborers for Christ begins at the very moment of salvation. So you might think, well, I just got saved. That's when it starts. That's when you have the opportunity to start serving. Letter B, it continues by mercy. So it started at salvation, letter A, began at salvation. Letter B, it continues by mercy. Only by God's mercy is continued ministry possible. His grace is new every single day. 2 Corinthians 4.1, the last half of that verse, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So there's a responsibility, but as we receive mercy from God, as we see, receive the grace from God, as he brings someone in our lives to, to minister to us, we faint not. He gives us that enduring power. Charles Spurgeon noted, if, if we give God service, it must be because he gives us grace. We work for him because he works in us. I think that's a great statement. Because God gives us grace, we give God service. Because he works in us, we work for him. It goes a long way sometimes when you have a boss that's willing to go out of their way to support you and help you. <laughs> it makes a big difference in your willingness to work. Well, God did, out, get, did that and well beyond any boss you'll have on this planet. He sent his son for us. He died for us. He gives us grace daily. He gives us the strength to, to endure things that... I, if we didn't have our salvation, if we, didn't, if we weren't part of the body, if we weren't part of the family, we would be out in the world and hopeless right now. We wouldn't be able to endure the pain and things that we go through. Uh, we need God's grace if we are to serve him. Human effort and energy 
will fail, but God's grace infuses our hearts with both the desire and the power to do God's work. One of the paradoxes of ministry to others is that you are often called to do it even when your heart is heavy. I can say I relate to that statement. Um, yeah. And the, the previous year to coming back to, to church here, it was one of the hardest years I had. Um, October, the, the hours I put into the three jobs I have was too much for me, and yet I was still here serving and doing everything I could, and it was too much for me. But I was still called to do it, so it didn't change my responsibility. It didn't change my role in, in what God called me to do. So it's by his enduring power and by his grace that I was able to do it. And, and my situation hasn't changed, but I think my outlook's changed because I have all the energy in the world right now because he is giving me the ability to do it. A teacher may be teaching and investing care into a Sunday school class while at the same time going through personal trials. A nursery worker may be caring for another's baby while her heart is broken over difficulties in the life of one of her own children at that moment. What enables us to continue serving, loving, to continue giving and caring when we ourselves carry heavy, broken hearts? What, what enables us to do this? It's only by the grace of God and his comfort that, that, it sustain, that he sustains us. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I preached a whole series on that section right there. It's because of his comfort and his, his standing with us in the moments of all of our trials that we are able to comfort other people. Serving others, doesn't, it doesn't take away our needs. It doesn't change how much we're hurting at that point. And this is partly why we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. In 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be or to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. See, when we spend time in the word, when we spend time with our father, learning from him and, and having the, the word unveiled to us on how much grace we really get from him, how much he really loves us, how much he really is there with us. It changes everything. It gives us a wind in our sails that we didn't think was there but he, he, he opens our eyes to show how much grace he has for us. Spending time in the Word is, is a huge part of our daily energy. It's, it's our power source. Our role as servants can expand in, in reach as the Lord expands our knowledge of him and our experience of his grace. We must, however, spend time in prayer and in God's Word if we are to first receive his comfort and grace so that we can then in turn give it to others. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, made a profound statement. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up by asking him to do his work through me. You see, as we grow in the Lord, we learn more and more our ability, or our, sorry, our inability to serve God without his work in us and through us. The, the closer we draw to him, the more we realize that we can't do it without him. Every member of the local church is to be a servant, a laborer in the work of the Lord. And whatever our roles in life uh, you may have, parent, child, employer, employee, friend, remember that first of all, uh, you are a child of God with a purpose. Whatever our role outside of here, we are a child of God with a purpose. In every relationship and in every aspect of your life, you seek to serve the Lord by serving others. The second responsibility that we have is, number two, reveal the truth. Number one, recognize your role. Number two, reveal the truth. Specifically, how do we serve the Lord? Well, this is a good starting point. Figure out where you're gifted. But it's by making the truth known. The primary function of Christian ministry is to distribute the truth. If you study 
the ministry through the New Testament, you'll find that it relates to the conveying of truth, preaching and teaching God's word. Acts 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of, great, of the grace of God. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, that verse gives us two ways to reveal the truth. Now, uh, letter A, it's through pure doctrine. We want to teach what's right. Look at verse 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul said that we must separate ourselves from that which is not true as we handle the truths of God's word with integrity and sincerity. God's word is powerful, but it must be handled properly and precisely. I heard it said this way. We can't add anything to the gospel. And we shouldn't take anything away from it. God's word is enough. We don't need to add fluff to it, and we definitely don't need to take anything away in order to make somebody else feel more comfortable about it. It is just enough for the Holy Spirit to, to stir their heart, to convict them where it's necessary, to show the grace of God in it. It's not about our ministries. It's not about the music we have here. It's not about the children programs we have. But God's word is the foundation on, on everything we do. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A soldier in battle cannot simply wave a sword, hoping that it hits someone somewhere. They can't just flail this around. They actually have to learn how to handle and leverage this weapon. If you don't understand how to use the weapons and tools God gives you, then you, you won't be effective. In the same way, a Christian who wishes to use, God, use God's word effectively must study it to learn how to use it properly. The whole Bible is filled with instructions, examples on how to use God's word to divide asunder our enemies. When Jesus comes back, he's not fighting with a sword. He's not, he doesn't have a bazooka or a whole army full of tanks, but he speaks the word. And for the sake of graphicness, I won't, <laughs> I won't say what happens, but you can read in Revelations. It has a, a devastating impact. His word is spoken when he comes back and all is laid waste by his word. The world was created by his word. It's powerful. If we would use the sword of God's word effectively, we must study to learn how to rightly divide its truth. We have to figure it out for ourselves, to study it for ourselves, to discern and to rightly divide it ourselves we can't just take someone's word for it we need to get in there and dig in there and say i don't understand this and actually get to a point and and spend the hours that's necessary to divide it rightly and get to the bottom of what it's actually saying so we can know it for ourselves so now it's in our tool belt to de to defend ourselves to fight a spiritual battle that might come our way which will come our way Second uh, Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In the military, you're expected to know your job. You're expected to know your position. You're expected to know how to, how to, to handle your weapons. You're expected to know what to do. And if you're not meeting that standard, Then, like it says here, if we haven't studied to show ourselves approved unto God, 
we will walk into our, uh, a situation where we will be ashamed. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. I don't want to get to a situation where somebody asks me a, a, a hard spiritual question, which could be a, a matter of leading them to Christ and not having a clue, not having an answer. I, we can't possibly be expected to have every answer by any means, but I would rather not walk into something like that where they expect me to have that answer and I'm ashamed not to know it. <laughs> Those who labor for the Lord in teaching and preaching the truths of God's word must hone their skills as workmen, giving diligent study and sincere presentation of the truth. I definitely don't want to say something I don't know anything about. If I don't know it, by the way, and this is a great leadership skill, if you don't know it, just say I don't know. But I'll go look it up. I'll go figure it out for you. <laughs> Rather than making something up on the spot and then, and then teaching somebody something false or, or leading them astray because you think that's something right, but you've only ever heard somebody say it. You never actually studied it for yourself. Truth itself is an exposure of the deceit and lies of Satan. We must hold it forth to a needy world. Truth will stand on its own. It doesn't need to be defended so much as it needs to be presented. The truth is the light of the world. If we speak the truth, then Satan's lies are exposed. It's powerful. Letter B, it's through pure lives. A, through pure doctrine, but also B, through pure lives. A pure testimony of integrity and holiness advances the truth because it cuts straight to the heart of those who see it. Look at the end of verse 2, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The way we conduct our lives is to be a manifestation of truth itself. Paul's testimony was so pure that he was able to commend himself, in other words, deliver himself into the hand of someone else for scrutiny. What listeners of Paul's message saw in Paul's life furthered the truth by pricking their consciences. Because he was unwavering in standing on the truth, it had an impact on them. It stirred something in their hearts. If our testimony is genuine, it's pure, then it affects people around us. What made the message of Paul so powerful was that his life matched it. In Acts 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself, not weightlifting, but to have always a conscious void or conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Behind the scenes and in front of everybody, we are the same. We are honest. We are sincere. We are truthful. To labor for the Lord, you must be conscious of matters of testimony. You have to think about what you're doing and how it's going to have an impact on people. And don't, and don't start looking at other people's testimony and start judging them for that. Look at your own. Look at what you're doing and how that has an impact. Because if we sit here for a, one second and, and, and start to nitpick somebody else's law or you know, sliver in their eye, not seeing the log in our own eye, then I guarantee somebody else is sitting over here, a third party, is looking at us judging them. And that will have an impact. So we need to think about our own testimony. What we do, have a conscious that's, that, that looks at the matters of testimony. If you invite your neighbors to church and tell them that God loves them and that the church welcomes them, but on other occasions you've flown off the handle toward your neighbors, they will see an inconsistency and they will conclude that your message is not real. If you're not showing the love, then they're not going to believe that, that God's going to be that way. If you tell or laugh at dirty jokes at work, it's unlikely your coworkers will respect you when you invite them to come visit your church. It won't matter to them that you have pure doctrine and a thorough knowledge of the truths of God's word. 
If you live inconsistently with what you say, you damage your ability to spread the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's house, and prepared unto every good work. Every Christian is called to labor, not just in teaching the right message, but in living the right lifestyle. Purity, holiness, and godliness are not just words. Uh, they must be daily realities as we labor for the Lord. Reality in the local church requires that we first recognize our roles as servants. We recognize that every Christian has been called with a purpose. Second, we reveal the truth. The truth is the core of all real ministry. Teaching, singing, serving, helping, all of it revolves around the revealing, it all revolves around revealing the truth. But if labor in the local church is to continue, there is one more step. Number three, we must remember our responsibility. The seriousness of our responsibility as laborers in the church is that if we, sh if we shirk our duties, there is no other group or organization to step in and fill the gap. Our work is an eternal work, and it carries weighty responsibilities. Letter A, preach Christ. Our first and greatest responsibility is to preach Christ, to personally and purposefully share the gospel message with all who will listen. Look at verses 3 through 5. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, that's little g God, Satan of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. If we do not share the gospel of Christ, it is hid from the lost. Satan, the God of this world, blinds the minds of the unsaved so that they do not see the truth without a witness who will declare it to them. Verse 5 reminds us that we are not promoting ourselves, but we are promoting Christ. Our ministry must never be for self-glory, but for Christ's glory. And our final point, letter B, serve others. We're circling right back to the beginning here. Serve others. As Paul preached the gospel, he made himself available as a servant. Look at verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. It's one thing to declare yourself as Christ's servant, but to make yourself the servant of people is another level. And yet, it is a required level. A missionary to Africa once asked if he really liked what he was doing. His response was shocking. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse, but is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. When we recognize the seriousness of our message and the directness of our responsibility, preference and comfort zones fade in significance. This labor is not about us, it's about Christ. Those who serve in the local church are often called upon to do tasks they do not particularly like to do. Do ushers enjoy cleaning up vomit in the hallway? Do nursery workers enjoy changing messy diapers? Do cleaning crews enjoy mopping muddy floors? Probably not for the sake of the task itself, but all of these areas contribute to people hearing the gospel in the church. Mature Christians push past their comfort zones for a message that is greater than personal comfort. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Ministry is not for the platform. It does not only take place behind a pulpit. Ministry is for every Christian. Real churches are full of people who invest real labor in the most enduring work on earth, and that's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, someone once identified a variety of Christian servants. And you're free to laugh if some of these are, are going to hit home for you. Some are like wheelbarrows, not good unless pushed. Some are like canoes. They need, uh, they need to be paddled. Some are like kites. If a string isn't kept on them, they fly away. 
Some are like kittens, content when petted. Some are like balloons full of wind and ready to blow up. That's me sometimes. Some are like footballs, you can't tell which way they're going to bounce next. Some are like trailers, they have to be pulled, dragged along. Uh, some are like neon lights that keep going on and off. But thank the Lord for those that are like the North Star. They're, when you need them, dependable and very loyal. To have the heart to serve faithfully, our service must be motivated by our relationship to Jesus Christ. If we serve for the appreciation or praise of other people, we will lose the heart and eventually quit. But if we serve because we are motivated by Jesus' love for us and by our love for him, we can continue right on through varied seasons of life and varied seasons of ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. When we consider the love of Christ showed when, when he poured out his life for us, the only reasonable response is to resist the pull to live for ourselves and to invest our lives into service for him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Real labor matters. Real service matters. It has an impact on the gospel. Let us have that mindset. Let us pray daily, how, Lord, can I serve someone today? How can I be a minister in your army, Lord? How can I fight this battle and to provide a need for someone else today? We don't have time for questions, but um, if I went too fast, watch it again. <laughs> All right, that's all I have for today.